think I can sit like this for the entire time. Wow. I don't know. Looks super comfortable. It's really, really not. But I also really don't want to mess with this uh, cord. Mm. These cords be janky. Okay. Sorry. Anyway. So hi and welcome back to I'll Tell You What, a spoopy podcast. I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Miranda. And today uh, we're trying to do this a little quickly because there's a lot of information to get through. Also, we're recording not on our normal day and this is the middle of the day and there's things to do. Yeah, and this so. episode goes out tomorrow. So Woo! we're having fun here. Hooray. Uh, but still the n- normal things that we should go through, you know, make sure you follow us, uh, rate <laughs> us and review us. Yeah. And subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll really appreciate it. It helps our analytics and more people will hear about this weird little show we show do. Show enough. I, lo- I love the little uh, pumping up Miranda over here. Oh, uh, yeah. Hype man. <laughs> All right. So, Miranda, I'll tell you what. What? I'll tell you about how the United States allegedly tried to weaponize weather with Project Harp. Get out of here. <laughs> you need to get out. Okay, out. so uh, I love the entire idea of harp simply because it's fascinating from a space standpoint. Mm, a beautiful instrument. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, we're going to go over, you know, what harp is, what it's about. I was about the to test ask, they I was like, did. is it named after someone or is it named after the instrument? I don't know. And then we'll get into the conspiracies and, like, the uh, logistics behind those. Mm. So, the harp. It stands for High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program. That kind of sounds like the Hedy Lamarr thing. (laughs) Frequency hopping. No, well, actually, yeah, this this, uh, entire project had a lot to do with frequencies. (gasps) So it would not be surprising to me if they... Some of her technology had, like... Bled yeah. into this. Right, exactly. Ooh. Her ideas. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll get into this later. But and if yes, you don't uh, know what I'm talking about, go and listen to our uh, previous episode, The Secret Life of Hannah Lamar. We talked there about how her projects eventually helped the uh, U.S. Navy and the submarines, right? Absolutely. So part, part of the HARP program, mm. or part of the HARP, I guess, since the P stands for program. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, redundant. Yeah. But the HARP actually helped increase the... Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, quality yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Quality is a, a word. <laughs> okay. So, the HARP. It began in 1990, and it was funded by the U.S. Air Force, U.S. Navy, and the University of Alaska Fairbanks, as well as the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or mm. DARPA. And yes, I had to say that the DARPA. weirdest way possible. DARPA. Yeah. So it's located in Gakona, Alaska, and I apologize if I mispronounced that. And it originally operated under the Office of Naval Research and the Air Force Research Library. In May of 2014, however, it was decided that the HARP program would end the following year. Oh. And originally they were just going to tear it all down, but ultimately the facility, equipment, and program transferred ownership, and so it now operates under the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Okay, so the university bought it from... uh... I think... I, I didn't really read too much into the transfer of ownership, honestly, but from what I gathered, it was probably more like handed over to them. No, I, it's like a research school. Well, yeah, and also it would have cost probably a lot more money to, to tear just, it down. Just burn it to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> like that that still costs money, friends. What? So, what did it study? Any guesses? Frequency. Actually, yes. Hey, I did it. Uh, but mostly... I just feel like I'm on trial. <laughs> well, and it really used frequencies to study the ionosphere. Uh, and that's an ionized part of the Earth's upper atmosphere. You know, I think I actu- actually knew of this. 
because yeah it, it's I, talked about a lot i began to look at you like you were crazy when you said the word and i was like wait you've heard of that okay so my I know what uh, ions are guys i'm smart i have a revolution makeup palette yes. that is space themed and mm. one of the colors i use the most is called harp and it's actually after this oh really yeah. that's fun yeah mine's just it's named gold. i have a i have a space palette but it's just named after the planets not as fun. Mine's the aesthetic space girl, and yours is sciency space girl. <laughs> Mine's sciency and aesthetic because it's got sparklies. No, sparkles are strictly scientific. Yes, strictly <laughs> scientific sparkles. If you want to look like a research analyst? Sparkles. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, so yes, it studies the ionosphere, which is the ionized part of the Earth's upper atmosphere. Yes. And originally, the plan was to gather data on the ionosphere and determine if there was potential in developing technologies to be used there that could enhance radio communications and surveillance. I could see that because um, ions, you know, energy, yeah. some kind of flow. Yeah, uh, going on. And, and the ionosphere, I'll, I'll get into that, uh, the specifics of how this all worked. Because, again, I've got a lot of notes here. But we will get to that, I promise. All right. So, we'll start with the HARP Research Facility. Okay. It was constructed in 1993. Is it haunted? I don't think so. Okay, sorry. <laughs> that would be weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly, we have space ghosts. Ah! Anyway. <laughs> Sounds like an episode of Doctor Who. Anywho. Oh, no, it really does. <laughs> so, the HARP Research Facility focused on developing two main things. Mm -hmm. uh, the Ionospheric Research Instrument, or the IRI, which is a high-power, high-frequency transmitter. And it can excite part of the ionosphere temporarily, and then the scientists, like, use that for study. Mm. It also works on developing scientific and diagnostic instruments to observe the physical processes that happen within that excited region. Mm. So some of these instruments include a VHF, very high-frequency, and UHF, ultra-high-frequency radar. You know, we're breaking out the science terms. Very high-frequency and ultra-high-frequency. <laughs> I blacked out, so. <laughs> she suddenly hears anything uh, that resembles a two-syllable word. <laughs> no, just a science term in general. I'm like, what? They also have a Digisond. Is that a Pokemon? <laughs> First of all, Miranda, I think you're thinking of Digimon. I really anyway. am. <laughs> Either way, it sounds like a Pokemon or a Digimon. Well, it's an ionospheric sounding device. So, or a yeah. Pokemon. <laughs> an electric type <laughs> oh it's an electric oh gosh Aha. <sighs> and it also has an induction magnetometer induction means heat yes so observing the processes that occur in the excited region also helps scientists to understand the naturally occurring processes that result from constant stimulation of the region by the sun uh -huh. so basically when they impose their own stimulation of the region mm-hmm then they can kind of figure out, okay, so this is the kind of thing that would happen if it were stimulated by the sun. Because they can't really control the sun, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they can control high frequencies. Yes. Lab-produced stimulation. Yes. So the current IRI, which is the Ionospheric Research I Instrument. Every time you say that, I think you're saying the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> so the current IRI was completed in 2007. Aside from the University of Alaska Fairbanks, several other universities were involved in the development of the various tools used, including MIT, Penn State, Stanford University, Dartmouth, Cornell, Johns Hopkins University, and many more. That's a good school. <laughs> <laughs> Every Which time you mention any of the Ivy Leagues, I'm like, that's a good school. <laughs> a legally blonde action. <laughs> wow. Oh <God. laughs> what? Like it's hard? 
<laughs> wow. Okay. So now we're getting into the research. Yay. I know. Miranda loves research. Can you tell? <laughs> She's like, oh gosh, science. Why have you done this, this to me? This podcast is semi-painful for me because <laughs> I actually have to do research every week. And she I was never taught to how to do research properly. She went to I, theater I, school. I went to theater school. <laughs> The public school system in high school did, no, did me no no service in research, okay? I mean, she did take physics, though. And I almost failed. <laughs> no. I get how physics works, but why are you making me calculate it? If, if you were going into this field, it would have done... You would have done... Poorly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, you would have needed it. Okay, There's that's where I was going I didn't with that. go into the sciences, okay? No one uh, was expecting that. No one. See, meanwhile... I like quantum physics, but so this is like right up my alley anyway, (laughs) except, you know, then I got a degree in film and psychology, so I don't use these very often. (laughs) Who would you come crawling back to? The arts. (laughs) (laughs) So the research that Miranda really doesn't want to hear about, the ionosphere. We've talked about this. Yeah, but we're actually going in depth now about the ionosphere. Are we going into the ionosphere? Probably not. Uh, it would take a lot of energy <laughs> to get there. And I'm both of us are tired. So. <laughs> <laughs> not what I meant, but okay. <laughs> Still true. Basically, it's the transition space between the lower atmosphere and the magnetosphere. So from the ground up, it starts just above the mesosphere. <laughs> I know that means nothing to you, but it's like really high up. Okay. okay. This is a podcast. And for this, I feel like we need visuals. <laughs> Check out our Instagram at Matter Than a Caterpillar. Yeah. So if you if you really need a visual on this, because I do, as you're listening to it, go ahead and pull up our Instagram, <laughs> and we're going to make Ashlyn post a picture of these different spheres. Basically, you've got the troposphere, which is the closest to Earth. Mm-hmm. Then you have the stratosphere, mm-hmm. which is like right above it. Uh, in the stratosphere. Then you've got the mesosphere, mesosphere and the then you've got the ionosphere, and then that goes the up to iconic the iconic sphere. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. Uh, and Did then you hear what I said about the mesosphere? No, I said the mesotheliosphere. <laughs> if you've entered the mesotheliosphere, you may be entitled to conversation. <laughs> stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lord. Okay. So, so it's in between the stratosphere and the. No, it's in between the mesosphere. No, no, the mesosphere is in between the iconosphere. Ionosphere. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know. You were joking when you said iconosphere, but not really. Mm. No, it's just stuck in my head now. The, the ionosphere and the stratosphere. Yes. And for reference, the stratosphere is where the ozone layer is. Mm. The one that's dying. Kind of, yeah. Um, a hole in the ozone layer. But uh, we'll, we'll actually talk about that later. Because <gasps> remember, we got to talk about the weather. The gasp. So I was about to just guess what this entire podcast is about, but I do that a lot, so I'll stop myself because <laughs> I'm worried I'm right. So the atmosphere in the ionosphere is thin enough that the UV and X-rays from the sun can reach it, but there's still enough molecules to absorb those rays. So like they don't get through as much. Yeah, so they can't just vaporize us. Yeah, well, the ozone also does that yeah. probably more, but yeah. So since it's a transition area, there's a rapid increase in the density of free electrons the closer you get to the lower atmosphere. So, like, basically there's more particles, there's more density close mm-hmm. the closer you get to the mesosphere. The general composition of the ionosphere changes dramatically from moment to moment. Yeah. So it's 
very fluctuating, which is different than basically any of the other layers. This complexity increases the closer you get to the Earth's poles, since the Earth's magnetic field is intense and nearly vertical. This causes physical effects like the auroras, like, you know, the, the aurora Yeah, which is the northern lights. But, like, there's also southern lights. What? Yeah, there's more than one. <laughs> what? I didn't know about the southern ones. Yeah, they're the polar lights. I feel lied to. Uh, so because of, you know, where it is and everything, the ionosphere mm -hmm. is difficult to measure. The atmosphere is too thin for balloons to reach, but it's too thick for satellites to be in. Is it, like, dense, like, uh, yeah, the, like the gravity kind of thing? Not necessarily gravity, but, like, the number of particles, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But they won't stay floating there. Right. They'll either sink or go up. Right, so like balloons can't reach there, mm -hmm. and the satellites can't stay there. You know, mm -hmm. satellites have to go up farther to get into Earth's yeah. orbit. Meanwhile, you gotta yeet it into space. You can't just toss it. So if you're you wondering where your balloons pop, it's before they don't go to the ionosphere. <laughs> I'm never gonna cut that out. I feel bad saying that. Did you just say your balloon doesn't go to heaven? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> So, aside from the composition and changes in the ionosphere being difficult to measure, mm -hmm. HARP has developed tools to measure all the main areas of the ionosphere. Oh, goody. And, but most experiments can only tell, like, a small bit of information, like, at a time. Wow, so it's useless. No, it's not useless. I'm this has gone on for a while now, Miranda. With this podcast or their research? Okay, Miranda's fired. Uh, thank you. I'm just going to yammer on now. I'm inhibited. <laughs> And no one's going to understand a single word I say. All right. Nerd. So the layers of the ionosphere. Hmm. The layers go from D. Like an onion. E. E sporadic, which is E sub S. And F, with D being the closest to the Earth's lower atmosphere. Or lower than this atmosphere, I guess. Okay. So HARP capabilities. It's capable of generating very low frequency VLF radio waves. Previously, these could only be produced with the aid of giant antennas. Hmm. And... They managed to produce these waves by controlled heating of the auroral electrojet. Okay. An electrojet is an electric current that travels across the E layer. And there are two electrojets in the ionosphere. It's also capable of generating artificial airglow. An airglow is a faint light emitted by a planet's atmosphere. And that's basically how we see our night sky. Mm -hmm. It's typically subvisual but detectable. So, like, if you can look up and see kind of, like, how bluish black the... Uh, sky is at night you've seen the sky at night miranda no <laughs> i've never been outside at night in my life <laughs> anyway if you could look up and see like it being bluish black instead of just like jet black or something it's because of air glow anyway they can also generate extremely low frequencies elf elf oh my god <laughs> all right and so typically this is sound waves in the 0.1 hertz range and that's nearly impossible to produce uh, outside of the harp they can also generate Whistler frequencies, which are electromagnetic VLF, uh, very low frequencies, that occur at audio frequencies into the magnetosphere, which then spreads the frequency to the other hemisphere. And why they do this is because these frequencies can interact with Van Allen radiation belt particles along the way. So the Van Allen radiation belt is a zone of energized charged particles that most often come from solar wind and are trapped in a planet's magnetic field. Earth has two of these belts because, you know, two poles. And others are sporadically created for a small time, so they're temporary. 
One of the big benefits of the Van Allen radiation belt is that by trapping the particles from the solar winds in the Earth's magnetic field, it actually prevents the energized particles from destroying our atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of important. Uh, however, these belts do endanger satellites, as it means that the satellite needs to be incredibly protected if it spends time observing these areas, so it's kind of difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the fact that HARP can generate a frequency to interact with these particles actually is insanely helpful. So, some HARP research projects. They've got plasma line observations, and plasma lines are found by recording the displacement of particles from a radar transmitting frequency that is around the plasma frequency. They also observe stimulated electron emissions. They do air glow observations. They have VLF and ELF generation research and observations. They can observe meteors via radio waves. They observe the effect of media showers on the ionosphere. They're able to record the electron density irregulars in the spread of the F layer, which means that they can identify echoes of radio waves uh, to map where there are more electrons at at various times. Mm -hmm. So they can kind of see how it changes. And they've done research into seeing how the ionosphere responds and recovers from solar flares and geomagnetic storms. Mm -hmm. They can research the effect of the ionosphere disturbances on GPS satellite signals. They've researched uh, producing high-density plasma clouds in upper areas of the mesosphere. They've done underground imaging. And in 2008, they even started looking into extraterrestrial HF radar echoes. And that was called the Lunar Echo Experiment. And HF is high frequency, mm -hmm. for those who forgot. So now we're getting into conspiracies. Thank God. I know. You just need to decide. That was Ashland Science Corner. This is the part of the podcast where you would fast forward to if you <laughs> already knew about <laughs> Project Harp or Harp, 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 Project, Project, Project. Punk. But I wanted to get that background mm -hmm. uh, simply because that actually gives you an idea of what this research facility was actually studying. Do I want me to give you my theory on, on what's happening? Or, yeah, or do, do you not want me to guess? I want, I want you to actually uh, tell me some conspiracies you think are coming out of this. Well, I think it's some government is trying to create the whole new ozone layer. Uh, it would be the United States government. Yes. The theory would be they're trying to create the whole new ozone layer, but perhaps over our enemies to incinerate them. Yikes. Okay. I don't know. No, but the initial theory is just some government, probably the United States government, is trying to create the hole in those on there. Or they're trying to send a giant magnet up into the ionosphere to control the weather. It wasn't necessarily to control the weather, but that was a working Why? theory at one point. Why? Uh, <laughs> that was the U.S. military. They were, like, going to send, like, these needles up into the ionosphere to, like, create a, like, defense layer or something against... Yeah. It was weird. That That's a completely other project. Needles? This was... This... Well, yeah, like a... Like a pointy like thing? Like a space needle or something like that, you know? I'm sorry, do they want to make, like, a spike layer around the Earth? Is that what? No, Miranda. Oh, okay. it, it's too... Uh, but you said Adjust defense, and so I was no, like, no. defense against what? The defense, aliens? Defense against uh, frequency interference. And, uh, yes, but at first I thought you wanted to create the Do Earth you know how nuclear weapons travel? Missile. Yeah, how do they travel? How do they know where to go? Frequencies. Yes. So if you can disrupt that, you can disrupt, you know, it getting to its destination. It's safe. Hedy Lamar worked very hard on this. This was 1990. She was still. 
Actually, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember when she died. No, this was 1990. So unfortunately, Hedy Lamar did not get to work on the harp, which is sad. I noticed how you actually completely ignored the conspiracy that I put forth in the beginning. No, I brought the weather into it. Oh, okay, I see. I'm waiting. <laughs> anyway. So, there were a few conspiracies going around about the harp at various mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. One of which was the potential to use it as a military weapon. So, we're going to talk about Rosalie Bertel. And she's an American slash Canadian dual citizen, as well as a scientist best known for the work she did in the field of ionized radiation. So she kind of knows her stuff. She was also an epidemiologist, someone who researches how diseases spread and ways Uh, they can be controlled. We really needed her help recently. (laughs) And an environmental health activist. So honestly, if you wanted to talk about, you know, Earth's atmosphere as well as ions, this was your girl. Earth's general well-being. Yes. So in 1996... Uh, Rosalie Bertel wrote a paper detailing the background of the harp. So like mm-hmm. what experiments led up to it. Mm-hmm. In the paper, she referenced many research projects concerning the Earth's atmosphere, in particular ones that involved the ionosphere and the Van Allen radiation belt that were conducted by the U.S. military and ultimately led up to the creation of the harp. And probably included Honey Lamar's research. Probably a little bit. Hmm. Hmm. But really, this would have been nearly impossible without... Hedy Lamarr's innovation, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, so she included previous space research efforts, including research done into the effect that rocket launches have on the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can imagine it's not great. The launch of the Saturn V rocket, which uh-huh. is the one that like helped us get to the moon eventually, Yes. Um, it caused a lot of displaced electron particles in the ionosphere, yeah. uh, and it was very... There was some talk about how that interacted i read the entire paper i just didn't write a note on that one Mm. but i can imagine it wasn't like good so uh her paper's conclusions state two things one that the research done with the harp is likely to be expanded upon in the future just like the previous experiments had contributed to its creation Mm -hmm. which is you know how you science and two and this is a quote The military implications of combining these projects is alarming. Basic to this project is control of communications, both disruption and reliability in hostile environments. The power wielded by such control is obvious. The ability of the harp slash space lab slash rocket combination to deliver very large amounts of energy comparable to a nuclear bomb anywhere on the earth via laser and particle beams are frightening. The project is likely to be quote-unquote, sold to the public as a space shield against incoming weapons or, for the more gullible, a device for repairing the ozone layer. Are you going to get up there and put a band-aid on it? (laughs) Are you gullible, Miranda? Yep. (laughs) No, uh, so she she expressed concerns that this could ultimately lead up to, like, a, a laser or a particle beam. A lot of people took this and ran with it because, oh no, the military has particle beams. Oh, God. Sounds like a 90s cartoon. Well, this was in the 90s. Yes. So maybe Scooby-Doo. It literally sounds like an episode of like Scooby-Doo or some Hanna-Barbera episode. Oh, 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 you know what the particle beam sounds like? It sounds like recess goes (laughs) out. Not a tractor, you goomba. A tractor beam. It sounds like recess, you know, recess schools out. Yeah, except that was a tractor beam and they were trying to move the moon to make yeah. it winter all the time. Because but. test scores. <laughs> test scores. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Alright, so 
While we haven't seen particle beams or anything like that, uh, we have seen some military application of the HARP research, most mm -hmm. notably in the utilization of ELF waves to communicate with submarines. Hmm. I won't say it. But it sounds like something else weird. <laughs> it's weird we keep talking about submarines on this podcast. How does that happen? Weird. So we haven't seen the kind of weaponization that Bertel was concerned about. Yeah. Yet. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Sounds ominous. When the military decided to shut down HARP, there was talk about them taking ionosphere research in a new direction. Which sounds We're incredibly ominous. In a new direction. <laughs> right? It's like when they fired everybody, they're like we're, gonna, we're just taking it in a new direction. <laughs> <laughs> so it's unlikely that the harp directly could be used for a military weapon. Yeah. Uh, now, mm -hmm. since it's operating under a university. Yeah, but you know, maybe there's some sketchy things happening. Yeah, you never know. Over I mean, in, a uh, lot of Alaska. a lot of there were a lot of universities that were involved in MK Ultra. Uh, Remember? Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Including Emery. R.I.P. And now we're getting into like the main conspiracy around this. Oh, I thought we already were there. No, no, that that was like one of the baby conspiracies. A There's baby another baby conspiracy conspiracies. I'll talk about afterwards. Well, the particle beams is one of the things that a lot of people talked about. But the one that even more people have talked about is the idea that the harp is being used to control the Earth's weather. Remember, that's the one that I addressed in the beginning. Yeah. First, I'll go over the people who like talked about this a lot. So most people who suggested this theory did not have a scientific background. Mm. We have Nick Begich Jr. Begich. B-E-G-I-C-H. Begich. He was the son of the late U.S. representative Nick Begich, uh, and he's also a brother of another former U.S. senative, Mark Begich. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so yes, he was the author of Angels Don't Play This Harp. Oh my god. He also claims that the harp is able to control people's minds. I think we, uh, uh, no, just no. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, really? Are you going to uh, stay that long on this one? No, not really. <laughs> I was just going to mention it. But then it reminded me of MK Ultra, and so I was like, uh. No, no. Anyway. Move on. I know. There was also Michael Chosodovsky. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing at these people's last names, but jeez, Louise. Anyway, so he's a Canadian economist and a conspiracy economist. theorist. And so in a book that was published by the Committee on Monetary and Economic Reform, he said, and this is a quote, The recent scientific evidence suggests that HARP is fully operational and has the capability of triggering floods, hurricanes, droughts, and earthquakes. Oh, yeah? What, 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 what recent research? Please. Yeah, no, uh, in, I, I got bud. nothing. Yeah, fill me in, bud. Also, he's an economist. Why does he care? Maybe he had stock in, like emergency preparedness <laughs> stuff you know like weather. oh so he's trying to get the stocks to go up mm. so weather. yeah uh weather trade chosodovsky was An dumb <laughs> and then we have jesse ventura Ooh, like so he ventura. was a political commentator a former government former governor of minnesota okay minnesota. uh a documentary filmmaker an author and wow. a retired professional wrestler. Oh wow, he has a jack of all trades over right? here. He did it all. <laughs> so weird. At one point, he tried to make a documentary about if the government uses the harp to control the weather or people's minds, and he requested to visit uh, the harp research facility. However, his request was denied. They were like, "Nah, son, get out." So he showed up with his crew anyway, and they were denied access. It's like. 
what what is this like, kamikaze documentary making basically i mean that's kind of sometimes you got to do that with documentaries i'm sorry yeah but with government facilities yeah oh no it's better to ask for okay the thing is yeah one of the the rules of filmmaking is actually especially in like things like documentaries and things like that is is ask forgiveness uh before permission yes as long Um, as you can't get arrested for trespassing yeah it's interesting because um until i was an adult the minute i hit 18 my entire life, mom was like, follow the rules, follow the rules. That's permission, that's permission. Right. The minute I hit 18, she goes, you know, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. And I went, what are you talking I know. I turn into an adult and she's like, here's the secret to life. Don't ask. And I'm like, I don't just like, do. I could have gone urban exploring like back in my teens right. and, and like been I arrested like I before can't. I could be tried. Right? And now I feel like I can't. It's very disappointing. Right? Because then the cops would frown on it. They'd be like, you girls. Naughty, naughty. You're adults. You can go to jail. (laughs) Jail time. (laughs) Just like that. Uh, I think it it might have been because they couldn't pay our bail back then. Mm. (laughs) We had no cars. Where were we going to go? Conspiracies about our own family. All right. Getting back to the weather. And now the weather. (laughs) (laughs) So Earth's weather most often occurs in the troposphere which I talked about earlier. It's the layer of atmosphere that is closest to the Earth. Is it like troposphere? Like like tropical? It might be troposphere. Shut up. <laughs> I just thought I heard trope, not trop, like tropical, because tropical weather. Hush. Okay. Anyway. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean it. Anyway, so uh, it goes up to about 6 to 10 kilometers above the Earth. Or for us Americans, three point seven <laughs> to six point two miles. Because we have a different unit of measurement than everybody yeah. else, which is called the English, you know, measurement system. Because we're special. But yeah, it's more the American nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the troposphere, or troposphere, mm. if you want to get you know Miranda in here, uh, it it contains about seventy five percent of the atmosphere's total mass. So mm. like this is where the atmosphere is thickest, heavy. Never mind. Back to the future. I was gonna say she's thick. She's thick. <laughs> she thick. <laughs> the troposphere is thick. Okay, we're going. No. <laughs> anyway, uh, it also yeah. uh, it's also the wettest part of the atmosphere. <laughs> I was trying to avoid saying moist. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> so so it's like the wettest part of the atmosphere <laughs> uh, because almost all the other layers have like very little to no moisture you know because mm-hmm. they don't really have many water mo- molecules is this where the clouds are formed yes wow so that's so that's the uh, tropo or troposphere then we have the stratosphere which contains the earth's ozone layer so the stratosphere in total is about 10 kilometers to 50 kilometers above the Earth, about 6 to 31 miles. Is that like when, no, planes go a lot higher than that? No. Uh, airplanes actually fly in the lower part of this layer. That's my next note. No. <laughs> I was like, is that where airplanes fly? Yes, and no. And I made myself sound stupid. By second-guessing yourself. Oh, See? you said miles, not feet. Yeah, no, miles. Miranda! Miranda! <laughs> well, no, that's why I was like, is that where airplanes, oh, wait, no. 31 feet. They fly way higher than that. <laughs> you said 31 miles. That makes much more sense. I, um, 
Ma'am. Shut up. Ma'am. <laughs> Shut up. I'm dumb. What is this? In my defense, I'm incredibly stupid. <laughs> so airplanes fly in the lower part of this layer, which again is about six miles to 31 miles is the 6, entire. Feet. So 3,000 feet. I don't know how, how miles come yeah. feet. Uh, so it's it's closer to the six miles than it is to the 31 miles. And the ozone layer usually occurs from the 10 kilometer to 30 kilometer area. So about nine to 18 miles. Ozone, for those of you who don't know, absorbs most of the radiation from the sun, in particular harmful UVB rays, which are linked to skin cancer, cataracts, crop damage, and harm to marine life. I thought you were gonna say harm to Miranda. Also harm to Miranda, because Miranda, you're pale. pale. <laughs> We'd be allergic to the sun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've had so many hives lately. Yeah. It's the worst. Also, it might be the hay that's outside. No, it's definitely the sun. It's been before the hay. So the reason I reference these two layers is because they're like the key players in Earth's climate. Mm -hmm. But does the ionosphere affect what happens in the troposphere? I, I don't know. Studies into how the ionosphere affects GPS satellites uh, mainly study the ability of the ionosphere to affect the quality of transmissions from the satellite to the troposphere. So it showed that the ionospheric effects on transmission delays can be significant, mostly in areas near the equator. Like the tropics. I don't know what you're thinking of connecting right now, but you're wrong. This is troposphere to the sun. <laughs> no, right, the, the troposphere tropics. happens all over the earth, okay? No, or else it wouldn't be called a sphere. Oh my god, I just realized what you said. That was terrible anyway <laughs> it's spherical pop culture references everybody oh. so uh research into how the weather and the ionosphere interact however like the direct link tells an interesting story so around june of this year 2020 a study conducted in the congo basin near the equator was published in the peer-reviewed journal scientific reports and this study analyzed the severe thunderstorms that go on in the Congo Basin alongside electron density in the ionosphere. The results suggested that there was a correlation between the two. Mm -hmm. The ionospheric electron density dynamics seemed to be suppressed during large thunderstorms during the day. Okay. So basically that entire shifting from like moment to moment thing in the ionosphere, it happened less okay. near these thunderstorms. So I haven't read the study myself, but uh, one of the researchers suggested that this suppression of dynamics was due to the thunderstorms, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. However, again, correlation does not equal causation, and there's potential for the researcher to have been biased. We don't know, because I did not read their Supposedly. actual words. Supposedly. Yes. They hypothesized. <coughs> or theorized. It's, yeah. Uh, and... Also, previous research uh, suggests that lower layers of the atmosphere affects the upper layers more than the other way around. And it's thought that it could be due to upward propagated atmospheric waves. And the amplitude of these waves increases as they travel higher due to a decreased atmospheric density. Mm -hmm. So they've got less, you know, to bounce around on, so their amplitude increases. Meaning it would have more effect on the upper layers. So can things be put into the ionosphere that affect our weather it's less likely than our weather affecting the ionosphere yeah so you got it wrong guys it's not a weather control machine it's a weather reaction machine <laughs> and that's just stupid sillies well 
again, we can't say this for certain, but this is what's thought. We theorize. Hypothesize, actually, is the more correct We hypothesize. Thank y'all. <laughs> so, one, another uh, conspiracy theory mm-hmm. surrounding the Harp Project is a Russian military journal proposed that Harp could be used to flip the Earth's magnetic poles. No, we're done. <laughs> done. The weird part about this is that Earth's magnetic field isn't determined by its atmosphere. It's determined by its core. I might sound really dumb for a second, but doesn't it, like, flip itself eventually anyway? Yes. Um, okay. So, actually, Earth... I did learn about this in Yeah, school. Earth's magnetic poles do flip, but it's at an inconsistent rate. And I'll get oh. into that in a moment. So, Earth's magnetic field is actually charged by the molten iron and nickel that, like, turn around in the outer core. Mm-hmm. That so, wait, do compasses flip then? Kind of, yes. However... Okay, so, so I think I'm going north and I'm actually going south? Not any time in my lifetime. Just Currently, <laughs> our poles haven't flipped in about uh, 780,000 years. Uh, previously, they had flipped about every 200,000 years or so. There was also a 40 million year period during the Cretaceous period that was about 100 million years ago uh, where the poles like stayed the same. So they stayed the same for about 40 million years. So we're coming up on it. <laughs> yeah, we're at 780,000. Uh we're about to no so so we don't really know so we don't really know when they'll flip but it's happened it might not be for several million years also why would they like why does that even matter because the earth is weird no 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 i mean why would they want to well it it could cause disturbances i mean first of all in gps uh and things like that Mm -hmm. but also my compass but also in a compass but also it could have uh big impacts on our on our climate. All right. So, however, so research has been done by Harp into underground imaging, which is, I think, where they get this idea that oh, it could be used to flip these the the Earth's nice. magnetic poles. You're gonna calm down. However, imaging is a far cry from actually, you know, affecting anything. Yeah, sometimes people just want to see what something looks like. And the thing is, I'm not even sure how far the imaging has gone. Like, I'm not even sure the imaging has gone to the Earth's core. You know. So that's uh that's stupid. <laughs> And that's our pocket, and I'm just kidding. Well, and, and you could use a similar idea into the whole uh, mind control thing. People think that mind control could be uh, done via son- like sonar waves and everything, so sound. Oh, I guess. I guess, because like, once again, uh, probably a popularized theory back in the 90s. But I feel like, like you know, we probably know a bit more about that since MKUltra was a thing, although we did use a lot of, or MK we did Ultra lose a lot of drugs. No, because MKUltra, they were looking into things like this yeah. as well. Um, anything that could be used to control the mind. So Why? Jeez. Because MKUltra was I messed know. up. Okay. I'm just, the government. People, people were literally tortured to in death. In general, like. every government, not just ours, a lot of ours, <laughs> needs to stop with the mind control. Calm down. But Get Miranda, over the yourself. Russian spies, Miranda. So I don't think that like research done at the harp would have really fallen into this whole mind control thing because mm-hmm. the thing is they were more interested in space and defending against uh, other countries oh. and well, aliens aliens too a little bit but ashlyn i thought you meant they put giant needles in the sky to make the earth into like a giant spike ball no. basically so, to protect us from like so invaders. they were going to put needles into the ionosphere uh as a way to like scramble some ashlyn, just frequency waves no, they were not trying to make the Earth a spiky ball, Miranda. To protect us from invaders. <laughs> and that's our show. 
I'm kidding. Uh, there so, might not be another. So I'm just kidding. So in conclusion, okay. is the U.S. military slash Department of Defense trying to weaponize our atmosphere? No. Well, maybe. Based on previous experiments, it could be likely. I mean, they always try to weaponize something. Let's I know. Be like they're, they're a little nuts, honestly. You need to calm down. However, is the research done at HARP capable of weaponizing our atmosphere? Mm, probably not. Not really. We would have to do a lot more research. Which could be the new direction they took it in. <gasps> anyway. What? Is HARP still fascinating? Probably. Absolutely. I There's love people it. People who like science and weather and... Well, and since Ions. it well, and since it actually operates under uh, the University of Alaska Fairbanks, yeah, uh, it means that we can be confident that the research is now like more benign and everything, which means yeah. we could just learn more about our atmosphere and like maybe you know get to space again and figure out better or ways also, to do I that. Also, I mean, also so ways cool. uh, more ways to help protect our atmosphere mm -hmm. and stuff like that. No, exactly, and you know maybe even, I mean, granted. I know that uh, Rosalie Bertel said that only the gullible would believe that it could actually rebuild the ozone layer. But since our first line of defense is usually like the Van Allen uh, mm -hmm. radiation belts, like from, you know, solar flares and things mm -hmm. like that, it could be really interesting to see where they go with that. And like, mm. we might be able to have more protection. Who knows? And prolong the life of the earth. That'd be great. Well, and that's actually one of the issues with climate change, though, is that uh, people are, con or scientists believe since more, or since the climate of the Earth is more likely to affect the upper layers versus mm -hmm. the other way down, that we're permanently changing, you know, this, the Earth's entire atmosphere mm -hmm. from the inside out, basically. Okay. And that's we need to problematic. So we need to wrap it up. I know we do. Uh, but yes, that is my main, that is my presentation on the harp. Yeah. I like it. It's sciencey. It makes me happy. And if you personally know anything more about the harp or work on the harp, maybe if you go to the University of Alaska Fairbanks or any um, of the universities or that any work of the on universities it. that also work on it, because she listed quite a few and that's a good school. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, feel free to email us at matter than a caterpillar gmail.com or check out our Instagram for that detailed graphic of that's definitely coming it's gonna tell the layers coming, of the tell atmosphere the layers of the atmosphere because i didn't know that and i'm sure some other people didn't know that or i'm just stupid no but check I, out our instagram because there will be a picture on there i promise yeah i didn't know about like which layer was which before i started researching this. see most of my experience is not into the area of uh atmospheres but so, you could check that out on our Instagram at Matter Than a Caterpillar. You already said that. I didn't say Matter Than a Caterpillar that yes, time. You no, I just said Instagram. I didn't get to the Matter Than mm -hmm. a Caterpillar part. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, if, if you know more about the atmosphere than I do, or anything about this project more than I do, because, you know, it's not hard. Um, <laughs> you can also slide into our DMs or tweet at us at Matter Than a Cat on Twitter. Um, yep. We're also on TikTok. Oh, yeah. We're also on TikTok. Kind of. Sort of. <laughs> we have uh, different things you could use. Different, different sounds. sounds. Feel free to use our sounds, you know. And sometimes we post fun stuff on sometimes. TikTok. Rarely. Fun time. <laughs> sometimes. Fun talks. <laughs> fun talks. <laughs> Ashlyn's having trouble forming words, which is a problem. So um, at this point, I'll say, as always, tell your mom. Tell your dad. Tell your friends. Tell the FBI agent listening through your phone. And um, uh, tell the ionosphere that lives in your closet. And good night.
That is scientifically <laughs> inaccurate. 